Welcome to a special episode of our Rainmaker Multiplier On Demand series brought to you by Clarity to Prosperity. For more information on the Rainmaker Multiplier process and a list of all podcasts in this series, visit ClarityToProsperity.com. Welcome, everybody. This is a, this is a piggyback topic off of the advisor career path. We're doing a topic today specifically on compensation. So this is something that comes up all the time on our mentor calls. I do a lot of coaching individually on it. And I'm excited because we have two different subject matter experts and sources here on compensation that really rely on really two different um, major industry benchmarking studies. So we have Jordan Harton that is kind of our guru on the investment news uh, benchmarking study, very familiar. She'll be able to bring some, some insight from that. And Jordan has joined us in the past. Hi, Jordan. And then Mark. So Mark, uh, is it Kalaka? Colasso, uh, yeah. Colasso, okay, great. So Mark Colasso and Mark is coming from Dimensional Fund Advisors and they do an an enormous, very comprehensive industry uh, benchmarking study themselves that uh, they'll be able to share. Mark will be the, the SME on. So thanks for joining us, Mark. Happy to be here. Yeah, great. So, you know, from a big picture perspective, as we're, as we're kind of kicking things off here, I think that, you know, what we find out there that's prevalent in the market and in the industry is kind of the old school way of compensating, which is probably still the most popular, which is uh, a grid method. And so you get a lot of insurance agencies, a lot of broker dealers, and you even have RIAs that are on that model in financial planning firms where they're running a percentage of the revenue through a grid and then paying out the advice X percent of that of that revenue and that ongoing trail revenue. The other um, thing that we're seeing more often, and I think you know the 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 professional services space, more of like the RIA, and I'll put the RIAs in there with the law firms and the big accounting firms have gone a lot more to the model of a base salary with more of like a quarterly compensation, usually tied to profitability. And so you've seen a lot more of that being more prevalent, especially the RIAs, like I said, are the ones who kind of blaze that path, you know, contradictory to the grid model that you see in the insurance world and in the broker dealers. And they've modeled it a lot of off of law firms and, and big accounting firms, as I said, and built a path all the way to partnership. And that's a lot of what our career path emulates with the five different rungs to be in backstage, then ultimately when they go to front stage as advisor, lead advisor and practicing partner. Very common to those type of other industry firms. And then We've also kind of layered on a hybrid, which Investment News has this in their study. I'll be interested to hear from you, Mark, your perspective on what you see here. But I know like in the Investment News study, they, they call it a business development bonus. And so it's like an, an additional kicker on a monthly basis 
to reward the people that are bringing in the new revenue and they reward them on X percent of the revenue, usually between 10 and 15% of the first year fees or commissions that they get. And on a monthly basis, to keep them in the game of hunting, right? To keep them motivated, because that's the worry. And, and I even have talked to different firms that have switched from the grid over to a salary with a quarterly uh, bonus that's tied to performance of the company or profitability. And they've seen hunters turn into farmers. They actually literally lost their motivation to go out there and continue to develop business so I think that's really the purpose of that business development bonus getting paid out on a monthly basis. But Mark, why don't you share a little bit of your experience in these kind of areas and what I just covered? Yeah, and Jason, I think you're I think you're spot on. So what we see for the the dimensional uh, study. So just for frame of reference, we have 11 years of data in what we call the global advisor study. Every year we collect between half a million and a million data points from firms and teams like yours, right, to get a better understanding of what are the faster growing firms and teams in the study doing, right? What do their operations look like? What does their comp model look like? And there is a concerted shift. The way we see it, similar to what you talked about, Jason, we see it from the standpoint of it, it was traditionally the eat what you kill mentality, right? So any revenue that I bring in, I get paid on that revenue as long as I continue to service those relationships. Then that became more of the, that second point you made, Jason, the base plus some type of bonus. And so that base plus bonus, as you mentioned before, is somehow tied to profitability. And I, we, we actually, we like that from the standpoint that everyone in the firm or everyone in the team collectively can have an impact on the profitability of the firm, right? So that could include advisors and also non-advisory roles. And at that third lens that we're talking about, Jason, you mentioned at the end, was the business development bonus. And so when you combine a base plus profitability bonus and a BD bonus, that's where we're seeing uh, kind of the next iteration of compensation models. Now, I will say what's interesting in the data that we have in our study is that of the faster growing firms, they tend to have a greater percentage of incentive in business development bonus relative to slower growing firms. I think the, the key consideration here is how your compensation model reflects the behaviors you're looking to incentivize from your employees. And so that's what we see from, from our standpoint. I love to Jordan, I'll pass it on to you if you have any additional comments there. Yeah, I think that I think that you hit a couple of main topics there. Whenever I talk to clients, I say that there's two, there's there's a lot of different variety of employees that you have on staff, right? But I think ultimately it comes down to the producers and the contributors. And so really making sure that the contributors, like the client service and operations, they're still having the opportunity to have the, the bonus because they are playing a crucial part in the bottom line of the revenue of the firm. And I think that that's where a lot of, a lot of RAs that I work with that don't do that, they're really having a hard time finding client service individuals if they're not offering that incentive bonus. And then I, I think to your point too, it all depends as well on the marketing stream. Is this a firm that has grown organically? Is this a firm that has a specific marketing approach that they take? And what does that look like? And is there a difference in an advisor getting paid on closing that hot, warm lead that has been sourced from the, the firm itself versus a self-origination? You know, I think that that's the, the thing too, is really having that 
that out there because there's a lot of, we work with a lot of service advisors that are more base plus bonus mentality that maybe aren't business development um, minded, but they are really great at closing and really great at nurturing relationships. And then they are able to build more, more business based on those relationships and have the organic referrals and things of that nature. So I think that there is something to be said by keeping that incentive bonus, but also having the ability to have a higher bonus for self-origination of clients so that it gives those individuals that do have the inherent nature to be BD individuals and that they have that drive and that energy to do that. It gives them the chance to play in both, both fields because a lot of times when I'm working with firms, again, it's like they're either somebody that's going to be incredibly important and crucial to the business development and bringing in new clients or just closing the, the, the clients that are within the marketing pipeline. And so it, that will kind of alleviate Jason, what you had said, when you have really, you know, big hunters join the organization, if their niche clientele is different from the new organization, there's a lot of things that can play into factor here. But I think the, the biggest thing is by keeping that self-origination bonus there and higher, they're still driven by the opportunity to, to make the higher amount if they're going out and continuing to do their own, you know, independent business development efforts. Yeah. Mark, I think you kind of, you know, the statement you made is an important one of like, you know, it's obvious, but some people don't, you know, sometimes it's important to state the obvious. The purpose of compensation is to drive behavior, right? Compensation programs and paying attention to it and what you're doing. One of the reasons I switched off of the grid in my firm onto the, where we have the three components that were described, right? The base salary with the monthly business development bonus, and then the quarterly stake in the outcome, we call it, which is basically a share of the profit, right? Um, and the reason I did that is because I saw silos forming of this is my book of business. These are my clients. And they were really just vested in taking care of them. And one of the biggest like proof in the pudding, let's call it, in 2021 was our first full calendar year that we switched over to it. And uh, the, the largest advisor in our firm, Brian Bibba, almost doubled his new AUA that he brought in. And the reason he, because he brought in $50 million in 2021, in 2020, he brought in, I think it was 27, I think it was 27 or 29 million. So he almost doubled. And one of the big things that happened with that double is he was willing to let go of all his C-list clients that he, before when he was on a grid, he was getting a little bit of piece of it and he wasn't willing to let him go to other advisors to free up his time to be the rainmaker he is and work with bigger clients. So it's just, you know, the driving behavior of incentive, you know, these compensations. And I think what it goes to, what, what, what I'd like to talk about, and I'd love to hear your experiences with this, but, you know, in certain firms, you have the, you know, the owner or the entrepreneur that is a hunter, right? He's hardwired, she's hardwired as a hunter, and they're still in the game and they want to keep hunting. And so they really want to be, build a team of farmers around them, like service advisors, more rung three, maybe even some lead advisors that are able to close bigger cases 
but they don't really want that business development officer hunter mentality because they enjoy being the hunter and they'll feed all their advisors all day long. But then you might, and this is what everybody on this call should think about. What are you? How, what do you really enjoy doing? Because if you're more somebody who doesn't enjoy that, you're more somebody that you, you want other people to take over the reins of being the hunter or the business development officer in your firm, then it's going to be very important that you build your compensation to have that business development bonus, you know, to, because you're going to lose hunters. They're going to leave all day long if they don't have the ability to get a taste of the kill, right? Built on the foundation of the award-winning bucket plan process, Clarity to Prosperity's proven processes, training, and coaching can help you increase your revenue. If you are a growth-minded, independent financial advisor, you qualify for a free copy of the bucket plan book. Go to claritytoprosperity.com forward slash offer to get your free book today. That's claritytoprosperity.com forward slash offer. Jason, you touched on a couple of uh, interesting points. I think the first of which is what we're seeing in the data and the conversations that we have with advisors with regularity is they're actually starting to, to use uh, personality profiles as part of their hiring process, right? So I can create an incentive structure that incentivizes business development, but if I inherently don't have that business development mentality, we have a misalignment, right? And so we're seeing that a lot more often. I, I can see Jordan's head nodding as well. I, I'm sure she's seen this also. The other component, which I think is critical to this, is that if it's a service advisor, if it's a lead advisor, if it's what we call a senior advisor, the, the importance around communication of roles and responsibilities of each one of those components. What I mean is that if you have a service advisor, you need to be explicit that business development is not part of their responsibility, right? And how your compensation then aligns with that. Correspondingly, if you have a senior lead advisor, his, compens his, his or her compensation should be aligned with the percentage of time he's expected to spend on business development relative to servicing existing relationships. And so that, what we often come across is firms, in, I'm, I'm firms of all sizes. I had a $4 billion firm last week that was struggling with this because their senior advisor didn't know how much time they should, or were expected to spend on servicing existing relative to, to business development. So just clarifying the amount of time that each person should spend in the role can be very helpful. Mark, to piggyback off of that, like. When, when I, I've used the DISC profile forever, a lot of us have, and you know, the DI, I think does, if they're high DI, they're, they're a hunter, right? Yeah. And, you know, and more of an IS, you know, is the farmer, you know, profile. And that was one of the things as we started C2P and I knew that I didn't have the, I was going to have to shift my time over to C2P and away from JL Smith and meeting face to face with clients. At first I brought on, you know, I brought on Jeff Warnkin. He's a, he's, he's an IS, he's a farmer to take over a lot of my bigger relationships. But then I started developing a hunter, which was Brian Bivo and he's a DI. And I knew, you know, over time he would eventually be able to take my place as the business development officer, kind of the rainmaker of the firm, you know? And so you're dead on. I mean, those profiles are so important because otherwise, and I think that's the biggest mistake too many entrepreneurs and business owners make is they try to bundle 
a, a business development officer, a lead advisor, and a service advisor all into one thing. And all of a sudden, those people have to be a unicorn to really succeed versus when you unbundle those responsibilities, you can put people in there in truly based on their strengths. Jordan, anything to add there? I don't want to, yeah, no, to talk I, about. <laughs> I agree with that. And I think the biggest shift that I've seen, Jason, is because of the type of business consulting that we now offer, we've been we've been really helping a lot of firms go from that grid compensation to the hybrid comp model. And I think that there's there's two main things that I'll say about that as a whole is, are you building a lifestyle business or are you building a legacy? And I think that that's really where it is because I think that if you're on that grid model, then that's fantastic. But like you said, you, you basically end up getting silos independently, but also what does the succession plan look like? And there, that's the biggest question. And I think it's, it's interesting to me whenever I get calls from advisors that are, you know, in their seventies and they're like, okay, I really need to be thinking about succession plans. And we, we do a deep dive in the organization and how compensation looks. And also the, the lack of mentorship that they've created because of that. And so you're building a different team and a completely different model. If you have those individual silos, because you, what are you creating at the end of the day? And so I think it's, it's really, you know, I think that there's, there's three main entrepreneur dilemmas just as business owners overall. And it's, you know, the reinvestment dilemma, the legacy dilemma, and then the exit dilemma. And I think this compensation is so crucial because it plays a, a key factor in all three of those. And so it's, what are you creating today to really, you know, cover your assets of the firm ultimately long-term. And when you are creating that compensation model, like you said, and, and, and having those individuals be able to play to their strengths instead of having that unicorn, you're also, you know, getting a lift in bandwidth. Because if you have one person doing three things versus three people that are really great at doing it and working in a collaborative business model and paying them accordingly, the revenue growth is going to be there because you're investing in that. So, so that's the biggest thing that I will say to, to piggyback that is really asking yourself from a compensation model, it really goes even further into the type of collaboration that you're building and what type of mentorship and, and what is the, what is the, the future of your firm look like? Yeah. Less attrition, you know, that much less going over to this type of compensation model because there's less of a mentality that the advisor owns the client. And ultimately with the grid, they want to just keep getting paid a higher, higher percentage. You know, the more business they do, they're crunching the math and being like, oh, the owner doesn't deserve to make all this money, blah, blah, blah. And so it just takes the focus off of that. But I do love the idea of re being able to reassign clients too and have different teams move around. So it isn't like you're with that advisor or those two advisors for the whole career. It gives you as the business owner the ability to move around and reassign and free people up like, like I explained with Brian Bibbo, right? To free up rainmakers that ultimately are handcuffing themselves to small relationships because they don't want to give up that revenue. Yeah. The, how about from an uh, actual dollar amount? Let's just talk about that. Let's switch gears for a moment. Like, what do you see, you know, for us, you know, and I know there's different uh, naming methodologies out there, but if you maybe in the studies, whatever equivalent it is, I think this is similar in investment news, Mark, I'm not sure what the naming methodology is in, in your study, but the, uh, we basically, the five rungs are Client Service Associate, 
which is more of an entry level position, one to three years experience, zero to three years experience. And they're basically just learning in the backstage doing tactical things that are relevant to of what they need to learn to ultimately become an advisor. And so, you know, case prep, post appointment, you know, open ticket items, service items, things that that nature, they're learning the language, et cetera. That's the first rung. The second is paraplanner, still backstage, latter stage of paraplanner, they're, they're maybe starting to sit in on some appointments. Then the third rung is that advisor rung, or some will be call it service advisor. And then, and they're usually sitting second chair to a lead advisor, taking over some of the small relationships of the firm, taking over some of the new small relationships that come on board. And then, and then the fourth is a lead advisor, always has a second chair with them, all their pair planning is being done. And then and fifth and final rung is a practicing partner, which in our model, we did put a business development requirement to be able to make your way to practicing partners. So it's a lead advisor that's a rainmaker that has the ability to feed other advisors from a business development standpoint. What would be like some ballpark ranges, you know, what compensation wise, base salary and total comp for each of these five rungs and studies that you guys have? Jordan, you want to start? Or do you I was want me gonna to say I'm, I'm more than happy to start. So everything that we do is based specific on markets because what, what they're going to be making in Avon, Ohio is very different than in Houston, Texas. So I think that that's the first thing that I'll mention just as a whole is, is being specific to market, making sure that you're competitive in your market and not you know talking to somebody that is in a completely different market and basing all of your compensation on that. So utilizing investment news, that's one of the, the key reasons that we do, the primary reason that we do it, actually, because it is so specific to markets. But what we're finding right now is client service associates are the number one most difficult individuals to find right now. That's the where we're getting caught up everywhere. And, you know, it's interesting because like compensation models, we just had an offer, somebody that has two years in the industry, has a bachelor's degree, is currently getting her MS in finance. And she has an offer that came in for 75,000 and, you know, it's insane, but in the Houston market, that's what it is. That's what we're looking at in Houston. It's, it's, people aren't going to take anything lower than 70 with two, 18 months of experience. And so, you know, leading to that traditionally, what we find is just kind of as a whole, usually a client service individual with, you know, we don't ever usually place anyone with zero years of experience, but we'll say one to three years of experience is usually any, anywhere between that 50, 55 to 65 base. And then the incentive comp on top of that, and then into that paraplanner, it usually is between the 57 to 65, um, maybe closer to 70, depending on experience and if they have their CFP or not. And then when you look at the service associate, rung, you know, second chair, if you will. And that usually is anywhere between 75. It used to be 75 to 85. Again, I'm going to base it on Houston because that's the law of recency. You know, we just had an associate financial advisor accept an offer at 82.5, and she doesn't even have two years of experience in the industry in that capacity. So I know for market comps here, it's gone from 75 to just under 92 on the base comp for that second chair. And then you know, the advisor that is sole point of contact, but maybe isn't a lead, if you will. I know that's in between kind of your lead rung and your associate rung. 
that's anywhere between, you know, 90 to 115. And then once we get to the lead advisor, you're looking anywhere between 115 to 150, depending on experience, all the way up to 175, depending on the market. And that's on base solely, no incentive bonuses on top of that. So, but it's, it is interesting because that's the one shift that we're seeing is so many people are losing client service individuals because they're not able to, you know, pay or they, they're not willing to pay 75,000. And so they're getting counter offers. So if you, if they're sitting at their seat today, making 55 and they're getting counter offers for other RAs down the street, you know, the one thing that I, I often, you know, tell candidates is you just have to make sure that you're not getting paid battle pay. That's what I call it. You know, you're not making a decision solely based on money and then you go to work and you hate what you do. And that's where I think in 18 months, we're going to see a lot of turnover. Whereas right now it's the hardest person to find in 18 months. I think we're going to have an influx of client service individuals because they are making a lot of money, but they're absolutely, you know, just in a toxic environment. The culture is not what they thought. The position's not what they, they thought it was going to be. And so that's what I, I kind of foresee, but to kind of give you an overview of all of those positions as a, as an average, what we're seeing across the nation, that's, that's the averages that I would give. But again, I have all of the data. If anybody needs anything specific to the markets, more than happy to create a report and send it over to you. That's all. That's awesome, Jordan. Yeah. So, so from our standpoint, you know, so we, we conduct our study every year. So if, you, if similar to Jordan, if you want full data from the 2022 global advisor study, that will be available for participation in late April. And then you'll have full access to all the compensation, of course, on an aggregate level. But it's, it's actually very interesting to hear Jordan's take because our numbers are remarkably similar. We use median instead of average, but we're getting to roughly the same figures. So for, you know, for us, we have a client service associate that median for base is around 63,000. And that, that's, I think we had three or 400 client service associates there. I think just super quickly to Jordan's point, if you all are not putting together a total reward statement or a total compensation statement at the end of the year for employees, that can really help to move the needle when you think about everything that you pay for that, that those employees may not understand you're paying for, right? So it's not just base plus bonus, right? Some people are not motivated simply by the cash they take home, but things like PTO, the ability to work from home, conferences, CE credit, all those things that get tied into what you do that you're paying, you may be paying for other employees. And again, you can put a dollar amount to all that stuff. I saw somebody who put one of those together. It was fantastic recently. I'm like, oh yeah, my I love God. it as an idea. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, so super quickly, uh, client service associate at 63,000. Our paraplanner is at, at 71,000 for median. Uh, and then we have for services, a service advisor, you know, Jason, you touched on the, these people being farmers. We're seeing what more and more of service advisors being compensated by increase in wallet share of existing clients, right? Because if their assets coming in the door, why is that substantially different than business development that from a new relationship? And so that's something that some advisors have to deal with as well. So service advisor in our study represents any employee that does not have, it is, it is not responsible for business development. So it's only for servicing existing relationship. That median for us is 82,750, which is I think within a couple of dollars of what Jordan had mentioned before. And then we, we go up the ladder from there, the, the senior advisor for base comp and median, again, for 2020 data is 165. So again, not all that far off. What we, we have a, you know, we have CEO and, and COO type positions beyond that. So we don't have that senior lead advisor in the study. I think it's very interesting. We offer 29 different positions 
in the, in the global advisor study. And we still have people who put other because we can't capture all the titles of the, of the various uh, roles in the advisory space. But hopefully that gives you a rough idea of what we see in, in our data. Yeah, that's helpful. How about a business development officer? Do you guys have that handy? If somebody were to hire solely? We do. And it's interesting, Jason. I, I, again, I talk to firms all day long. I have a firm in Chicago that they build a effectively a Chinese wall in between BD and advisory. The BD side is supposed to bring in new relationships. The advisory is supposed to manage and they never cross. So for our study in the business development officer realm, the base is 221,000. So it is, so it is it is a dedicated position and it is inflated relative to service to senior advisor. So 165 for a lead advisor or senior advisor, 220 for a business development officer. They're the rainmakers. And exactly. And exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I pulled it real quick, just all states to give you kind of an average here and total traditional compensation. They don't have it broken down on investment news because they are so incentivized because of the role, the, the median for that is 405, which is kind of like, whoa, but the, the total, <laughs> but the first quartile looks about 195. But if we're looking at just from a base perspective, it's hard to do with that position because they are so focused and highly incentivized. So that's one position where it's like, they may be getting a base of 150, but they're all in is, is close to, you know, 500,000, just depending on what they're doing. Wow. Now I don't feel so bad for paying Brian so much money. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, this was awesome. I think this is probably a good wrap. Oh yeah, shoot. We only got a minute left. Well, thank you so much, Mark and Jordan. And uh, thanks everybody for being on and, and uh, being part of the, the group. This was fun. Interested in learning more about the topics discussed today? We want to know more about your challenges and priorities and how we can help build your custom roadmap to success. That's right, a custom roadmap built just for you. Schedule a free 20-minute consultation with one of our business development partners. Visit c2pe.info forward slash podcast to schedule a time that's good for you. That's c2pe.info forward slash podcast.